has it been since we actually sat down and chit-chatted? Um, definitely before COVID. So it's been over a year and a half. It's been yeah. that long? Yeah. Jesus, man. Wow. Yeah. You I know, mean, aside from like the, the like drive-bys like at the boutique with Remy. Oh yeah. When I take the dog walking by, yeah. it's <laughs> Uncle Paul here. <laughs> so and she has no idea who I am. <laughs> I, she yeah. doesn't know. So for the year and a half, how have you been? Honestly, with everything going on, we can get into, you know, um, I mean, through. it's been a, a very traumatic year and a half to say the least. What has been, what's been the thing that's made it for more, it's impacted you more in the last year and a half. Obviously everybody's been going through a whole lot, just getting through life and, yeah. you know, yeah. figuring the new way. What about you? What's, well, I mean, I, I think that like with everything that's happening now, like with, with the world and with COVID, um, what we know as normal, you know, from like 2019 or the beginning of 2020, it doesn't exist anymore. And I think um, wrapping your head around that and trying to figure out what is like my new normal mm -hmm. while we're still like in a pandemic, you know, yeah. and like still like trying to figure out how we fit in the pandemic and what the pandemic has done to us. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot. It's been a, it's been a life changer to say the least, just yeah. figuring out how to get through life and knowing that the new norm that we thought was going to be once, uh, everybody got vaccinated, we would all go back to normal and we've seemed to have, uh, pivoted with I mean, everything I think coming that, on like, now. We just like completely sidestep that. Um, I feel like we thought that it would end a lot sooner yeah then then it did and i i just foresee this going on for like a little bit longer before like it even ends it's gonna yeah i mean the world's not gonna be, be the same it's no. uh the, you're right it is the, the new norm and getting through life now figuring out how to adjust it figuring out the fact that we live in a city where everybody who used to work here has moved away yeah they're working from from home Companies have to adjust. Everybody has to adjust who had the way of living here. It's a it's a new norm. Even yeah. just walking down the streets and seeing some of the empty businesses that used to be thriving. Right. Uh, or just like even the the old businesses that used to be around. Yeah. Um they're they're gone. It's yeah, it's crazy. You know, you hear about some of the things in the bigger cities and then every other part of the country and the world, everybody has their own way of dealing with it. But here it's uh you know, it's interesting to see how the world is going to be and what the Bay Area in whole in the whole is going to look like in the next couple of years. Yeah, everybody's just doing their own thing and figuring out how to make it happen. So, speaking of figuring out how to make to make it happen, how's the music? How's the performing arts going? I got to hear about that. I haven't talked to you about that in a long time. Um, I so that has also completely shifted. So, um, you know, like once everything like went on lockdown when everybody stayed home um we had to adjust and figure out like what what are we doing with dance classes like are they going back to normal again um how do we do dance classes and that was when like the rest of the world pivoted on zoom and teleconferencing and you were taking dance classes over zoom um and or, or over like instagram live you know like the whole community had to make the shift on doing 
these platforms that were not created for that and trying to adjust and, and make it happen um, to keep like their studios alive, to keep us engaged, um, for us to have something to do while we're stuck at home. Um, it, it, it was a huge adjustment period that we all just got like, we had to get used to. You know, like it, it wasn't the best circumstances. Um, taking a dance class like over Zoom or online, if it's like going live and not pre-recorded, it's not, it's not a world that's like built for that, right? And like we know with like Zoom, like there's lag, trying to get like, like the a, a good like internet connection, um, going both ways. It was it was difficult to say the least, and. Some people, some instructors in some studios like push through. Mm -hmm. um, some of us as dancers like, like stuck it through um, while others just decided not to do it. And it, it, it just, I think, really changed like the landscape of um, the dance community for the last year and a half. Um, even with um, you know, my, my team, like we had to do rehearsals and activities through Zoom and trying to learn pieces through Zoom um, was challenging and I'll be very honest, like it wasn't my favorite and there were definitely times where I just kind of sat there and just like, okay, I, I'm not gonna participate, I'm just gonna be here, but I'm, I'm not gonna be fully engaged and fully present and that was the downside of it. Um, yeah. So now, like getting back into it again, like I'm, I'm very thankful to be in a studio, vibing off with people. I will wear a mask if I need to, but as long as I get to dance around people and and feel like the energy of like the whole room and really see like an instructor and like tap into the music, um, that's I think the most important thing. Like it's it's a vibe. It definitely is from what you were telling me. And you've been doing this dance for over 10 years or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, help, so help me understand because I'm not, uh, if I see a certain dance out there, I couldn't tell you what it is. So remind me again and for anybody who's listening, what type of dance do you do specifically? How'd you get into it? And So I, I dance um, hip hop and I dance house. I, 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 like, I mean, like growing up in Chicago, like I would always hear like house music on the radio and finally like when I was like old enough to go out like it, I, I always loved dancing you know I watched Club MTV for those of us that are old enough to remember it and, like I've always watched like those dance shows and I thought to myself like god like I wish I was on there you know um so I've 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 danced like in clubs and have loved dancing and enjoyed it uh, and it wasn't until I moved here to San Francisco that I decided to actually start training and take a dance class and that was um, when did I move here like 12 years ago it's a, really yeah wow, geez, yeah so I, I moved here in 2009 and I took my first dance class and it really um, I thought that I'm like, yeah, you know, like I dance in the club, like I can totally take a class, but dancing like choreography and like dancing in the club and freestyling are two different things. And it rocked 
my confidence, like my first dance class, to the point that I didn't go to another one for, I think, like maybe like three or four months. Well, I remember you invited a bunch of us out to see a performance, and it reminded me, like, man, this guy could be like on in Living Color when that was an actual thing. Right. I'm like, this, yeah. that, that's Which actually I love. some. Like, I love like the Fly Girls, and yeah. you know, like I, I would, for, like for sure, be in my room, taping like all like the Fly Girl segments and trying to recreate <laughs> it in my bedroom. I was, I was, I was him. I was that guy. Man. I, yeah. Because I would watch that show like your bells for all the Wayans brothers and Jim, all the, all the comedy stuff. And then when the, when the dance would, would come out, I just say, oh, that's over my head. I can't, how do you way beyond what I was capable of dancing then or yeah. even still now, but to be able to be proficient in that. And from what I remember seeing you do that, that's a, that takes a lot of work. And it's like, it's like the guy I talked to last week about dancing. It's just such a passion that you have to have to be able to have the discipline to learn these moves and know where you have to step and just, but the energy that you gain from it, from not just the physical conditioning part, but with your teammates and the whole group and you all bounce energy off each other and it just turns out to be a great production. It's like, that's something that's really, it's really cool to watch and see that, see the, the whole group dynamic come out and then you all just become as one and then to show your work off to an audience and then have them appreciate what you guys have worked so hard to, to, to do and to do it basically because you're excited to, to, to do it. You know, it's not about getting rich quick off of dance and you do it because you enjoy it. Yeah. And like, I think from what you were telling me, like it was a good balance between where you had to work and the challenges of life and everything else that most of us face every day. And then to be able to put that that aside and just go off on a stage with all your uh, dance mates and just let it loose. Like that was, you know, it's a breath of fresh air to see that. And I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Just like an escape of getting away from all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like I, I think we all need an escape. It is especially a physical one that like we can really, um, hone our skills again in certain disciplines. You know, I just happen to choose dance and I love taking class and I love going to rehearsal. It's a lot of hard work, but I love seeing um, how it all like comes together at the end, you know, like with the staging and with um, the production. Uh, one of the things that we, we did like during COVID since we couldn't perform, there's like, no performances or like any competitions that we were able to go to, we started shooting concept videos, hmm. which is, it's, it's, it was different. It was something that we weren't used to doing like as a team. And especially for us, like we're still like considered a training and exhibition team. Um, so we're not like really competing uh, by any means like whatsoever, but to be able to uh, shoot and deliver a concept video and to see it like as like the end product and to see like everybody's hard work being put into it like you can't help but like be so proud to be like a part of such a, a moment that is now captured that is very magical that's a good way to pivot from the pulling up the carpet underneath your feet when they said guess what it's covid you can't do all the stuff anymore what are we going to do to adjust with that well, let's look, let's look at this. Let's look at this concept. What is that anyway? Do you, is it where you get together, you film a dance for distribution? How does, how does that whole thing work? So it's, um, uh, the last, so we've done two, the last two that we did. One was, uh, from our director and, um, the previous one was from, um, like a fellow, like 
uh, dancer who's on the team. And we have like X amount of time, say that we have like three months to learn the piece, right? So we learn the piece for three months. Um, we clean it, make sure that the movements, the energy, um, the, the choreography, everybody does it the same. Um, and then you stage it, you block it, right? So blocking and like staging kind of happen like at the same time. Like blocking is like when you put like, okay, so these three dancers, you're gonna be right here. Everybody else is gonna be like, you know, in the back and then um, you taper off on this move and the rest of the people come in this move. The final formation will be here. This formation is like that. Hmm. So that way you have like a seamless transition of like, um, uh, of the, the whole piece, so then it doesn't look quite so static. That's a weird, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the videographer, I think, has a lot to do with it, too. So the way that he shoots, you know, whether he's, like, doing, like, a full pan out, if he's, like, capturing, like, emotion, if he's, like, focusing on just, like, these dancers, or he's coming from, like, up above or, like, from the side, has a lot to, to see, like, how the video is edited and like cut up too, like for the final, wow. for the final thing. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of pieces that go to it. Um, for maybe like a video that's like, could be like two minutes long, maybe even shorter. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, it, I think it's so rewarding, um, just to see the end result and to see like the work that you've put in there. And also to like know that like you went from point A to point B to point C and that whatever part that you were put in that like you, you, you killed it, you know, like you did like, the best that you can for it. That, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there because I was just thinking about how all the work that has to go, I can just only imagine the, all the work that goes into that for like you said, a two minute video, but I can just imagine the reward that comes from everybody involved. And if we can't get on stage and do what we normally do, look at what we produced here. Yeah, it's two minutes, but the the bonding that we all yeah, had together to create yeah. the project. Again, taking something that a lot of other people could have said, well, can't dance anymore, so I'll just go and do I don't know what. And you guys said, no, let's do that. Let's come together. Let's figure out. Let's readjust. Let's find something else to be productive on that we can enjoy. Yeah. And like, I think that le lesson there is a big one for so many, many people out there because we've all, most of us have had to learn through everything going on in the past year and a half. Like how do we readjust? We just can't do the same things anymore right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe one day it'll all come back. But for right now, there's a little innuendos. Do you just, you know, say, what was me and then give up? Or do you pivot and find something else to be productive on? That's a very inspirational thing right there that you guys just said, you know what, let's go do this instead. Yeah. That's so cool to do that. But getting back to the dance thing, I, I forgot you came from Chicago. That's where you were. At. Wow. How about that? How did that transition happen? How did you get from Chicago to the West Coast? Oh, man. <laughs> um, and what's Chicago like? Because I've never been there. Okay. So, I, I mean, like, this is... This is like a story for for the ages, and, <laughs> and, and I don't think that like you even knew this about me at all. So I can't wait. I know, right? Um, so I was just fresh out of college and um, still trying to figure out like what I wanted to do like post college, right? I I, I think that was the thing that you we did, right? Like you graduated high school. 
you try to figure out like what you want as a career, you finish, and then you go into like the workforce. Yeah. Um, so I, during college, had discovered a lot of freedom. I, I lived in um, a very like restrictive home environment and um, I, and I just, being in college was like the first time that I felt like I could be like myself that I was able to fully, not fully, but like start to discover like who I am, like I came out. Um, I experimented with drugs and I partied. Um, and when I got back home, like I, that life like kind of carried through with me. Um, you know, like I, I was out like Friday, Saturday night, like doing major recovery on Sunday, like then going to work, pretty much like burning the candle at both ends. Um, so I was driving back from um, a friend's place one night and this was in the suburbs. Um, and the suburbs is like notoriously known for being like racist and um, is this the west side of Chicago? No, no, this is, no, this is um, the west suburbs. All so right. it's like, uh, it's pretty far out there. And I was driving back um, to my parents and I got stopped. Um, they did like a full search of my car, like with the canine and everything. I had a warrant out for my arrest for driving on a suspended license and unpaid tickets and um, went to jail. Uh, my dad bailed me out. Um, lots of like family drama that happened. I was talking to my best friend and um, she's like, okay, why don't you just like book a, a one-way ticket to come to Seattle um, and you can stay with me. And I'd, it, it was, I think like a good opportunity for me to, to leave. At that moment, I, you know, being like in your 20s, like my thought process was here I am, you know, like, you know, my parents are like, trying to put rules back on me again. Like I've been living on my own for like five years um, and also like running from the law too. I'm like, I don't want to be put in jail again and I don't want to have to, uh, you know, as opposed to dealing with it like head on, I ran away from it and like literally ran away from it and fled to a different city. That would be, yeah, that would be running away from it. Yes, yeah. So I, that's how I ended up in, on the West Coast, like in Seattle. Um, had to figure out really, really quickly um, what it was like to move to a different state and to really be on my own and um, it was a huge learning curve for me. Like I've never been in that situation, never been that far away from my family, but I was faced with this, you know, decision of like, okay, so either I make it work and I buck up and start being responsible or as responsible that I can be at that age, um, or I go back home. 
So I can guess where you where you chose on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the transition from Seattle to SF was what? So I I I had a really good time in Seattle, and I did a lot of growing up. You know, during that time, um, I've always wanted to come to San Francisco. Like I came here for spring break and fell in love with it, and told myself that like one one day, like I'm gonna move to San Francisco. Um, I, I believe like after like five or six years of living in Seattle, the place that I was staying at got converted into condos and they were basically giving us money to leave. <laughs> and I and you know, both of my, my friends that I was really close with um, had both moved to San Francisco and um, I found that it was like the perfect opportunity to do it. So while I was still in Seattle, my friend... Um, he looked for a two-bedroom apartment for us together. He found one in Inner Sunset. I sold most of, I sold all of my furniture actually, and packed whatever I could into an SUV. And my other friend like flew down here, and we drove down to San Francisco. And that was twelve years ago. Wow. Yeah. You're right. That's a very. Uh interesting story of how you got from point a to point b yeah via seattle here that's actually you know wow how's the family been since then are you on talking terms again with oh yeah like i i admittedly like when i was younger i don't think that i had the best relationship with my parents um especially my dad um but as i got older i think especially within like the last the last few years, um, it, they've made an effort to understand me more, and I've made an effort to let them in a lot more. Wow. Which has not always been the case. Uh, no, I, I believe that. And it's telling me the story about, you know, how your relationship with your father was growing up, and then in a way, effectively getting you to come out, out, out here because it's like, I don't want to deal with this. I could say pretty confidently you're not alone as the only person, you know, man or woman who's ever had, they've hit that roadblock in like their late teens, early 20s with their parents. I don't know if it's a culture. You might say it'd be a cultural thing where this is how things were done back in the day is that you listen to your parents mm -hmm. until you get married and then you do what I say. And then it can be a culture shock coming to the U.S. or any Western country. And it's like, that doesn't happen here whatsoever. Yeah, just, absolutely. And, 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 you know, like my, my parents are both immigrants. Um, my dad is the oldest of nine kids. Uh, um, oh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the oldest in my family and like the only son. You know, so there was, I think, a lot of expectations. Um, and maybe like a, a lot of like what, you know, past trauma that he had growing up, you know, that he was carrying around with him and would behave that way towards me because that was the way that his father behaved like towards him. You know, I think all this stuff like is very generational, right? Yeah. But I think for myself, um, there was probably a lot of expectations being not only like the firstborn to the oldest of you know, the, of his family, but also the firstborn in this country, um, uh, uh, the first of like this generation here, 
um, and growing up, like I, I, I knew that there were expectations of me and I knew that there were certain things that needed to be delivered that now as an adult that I, I knew that I, I couldn't deliver them. Right. It was not who I am and that was not like what I was capable of. And your dad came from the Philippines, correct? No, my dad came from Laos. From Laos, okay. Yeah, so both of my parents um, came to the United States uh, after the Vietnam War. That, okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. That was all in the same area. Yeah, I, yeah. I talked to somebody from, the, the, the first guy I talked to from Cambodia a lot. It's amazing how, you know, so many people in this in this country, especially the younger generations, don't realize what kind of crap went on in a lot of countries, especially Southeast Asia in the 70s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, and 80s. And as a result, a lot of people came here to escape all that was happening over there. Right. And well, I mean, hi, Afghanistan. Yeah, it's that's going to be the new um, the thing there. And yeah. people are escaping what's happening there. And that's a whole other uh, rabbit hole to go yeah, down there. Totally. We can, I could talk days and days about that's that one. Episode. Exactly. <laughs> but you hit on something there that I think is really important to to kind of get out there is that how do you, if you can go back to your 18, 19 year old self, maybe even younger, 15, 16 year old self, what is it that maybe you were having a hard time processing when it comes to your relationship with your father and this big, I guess, like weight that they, you felt they may have put on you. Mm -hmm. How do you process that? Because I, like, like, like I said, you're not alone and there's plenty of people now who are going through the same exact thing. You know, I'm expected to do a, B and C and I'm 18, 19 and you know, I'm supposed to have this great job and marriage and kids right now. And I don't know how to do all this stuff. How did you process that? I, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't know if I really processed it or not at that age. You know, I, I don't think that, uh, at 15, 16, um, we, I shouldn't say we, I was given like a proper toolkit of how to deal with, with that, right? Like, um, I come from a family and a household and maybe even a culture and a generation that really didn't talk about emotions at all or really didn't display any type of emotion. I mean, the only ones that I distinctively remember were disappointment and anger, right? Which, which as a kid, moving into an adult, like if that's all that you remember, where are the happy spots at? Like, were there any at all? And yeah. also, you know, coupled with that, like realizing at a very young age that I'm gay. So not only did I have to deal with like familial expectations, paternal expectations, but um, it, it was like the nineties, like there, there was no such thing as being that open at that young. You know, you're probably right. I mean, I'm God, what was I, I was in my early, early, uh, early teens. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have, uh, like, you know, you wouldn't have seen it cause you don't see the world that way. No, nor was there any representation like that at all. Mm-hmm. There was like nobody, nobody like that, that like you can be like, okay, so he is like maybe like the model of, of what it's like to be gay and, and a, a representation that is like positive, right? And that's something that's like so stereotypical right. or it, it, it just wasn't around during that time. Um, so the, I, I think for me is like a 15, 16 year old, like even up to the point that I graduated high school, um, 
it, 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 it was very challenging and extremely difficult uh, to be able to process all of that. Was it more just uh, processing that and the way the world like viewed it at that time? Or was it, how do you tell my dad and is he going to disown me or is he going to accept me or my mother? Or, I mean, how, how did that whole thing? I think it was all of the above. Like all, all of the above, like everything that you just said, like that was, wow, things that like got checked off. Yeah, like I, living, you know, in a small town, right? Like we we grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs, um, the last suburb that you could ever consider a suburb, and it was a like a small like farming town. Like I was the anomaly, being Asian in a sea of like white faces. Um, yeah. And, you know, growing up in a a somewhat like traditional household, I wouldn't say that like my parents are conservative, like more than they are traditional. And, um, being at that, that, that age, like that era and not having resources that are available to kids now. Yeah. And, like, and that was, I, I think, the the biggest clincher, right? If I think if I were like 15 or 16 and the resources that are available now was available back then, um, it, it may have helped the, the transition and the recognizing and the acceptance of being gay a lot um, I don't know if easier would be the right word, but uh, just maybe having like like more more information would give me like a, a better like toolkit to be able to process. Yeah, not having like any at all. I see what you're coming from, and yeah. the the underlying thing in all this is this is happening when you're 15 years old. Mm-hmm. When no anybody who's 15, unless you're like a you know in Mensa or something, you don't really understand how things work, and I. I tell people this, and it's just, this is not my opinion. This is like literally science. Like our minds don't really fully develop until we're in our early to mid twenties. Right. Some yeah. people a little earlier, but you know, fifteen. You're not. You really don't understand how to, you know, process all of life's challenges. You, right. you just don't. It's not your fault. You just don't know at that age. Okay, yeah. what does this mean when this happens? What does this mean when that happens? Am I going the right path this way? And my dad says this. Is he right? So I do what he says. You, have no clue. And you don't. And I think something that we we have as adults, you know, like when we get older, is our emotional bandwidth expands. Right? Like where as when like you're a kid, like your your emotions are like so compact and you feel them like so heavily because of the fact that, you know, hormones are going on and all this type of stuff, but with life experience, I think that like our emotional bandwidth like continues to grow, and we're able to like process and adapt a lot easier as adults than we are to kids. Uh, I definitely can say that. I mean, as I've gotten older, I've definitely learned how to manage a lot of that better. But I still have a, for me, only I can speak on my on myself here. I still have a, I don't know if it's a block or some sort of protection, but you know, I still have a hard time, you know. How do you say 
fully opening up to friends, family, the wife about things that are going on because a lot of it still is you still have to, for whatever reason, I still feel I have to put up like a wall that mm-hmm. still says I have to be able to, you know, when things happen, I have to act. You know, when a decision has to be made, I make it and just kind of block out, you know, like you, you know what I do for a living. So the yeah. things that I see sometimes, it's like, yeah, that that happened. I got to move on. That, that, that Yeah, that someone just died or some whatever happened there. I just got to process it and then move, move on. And, you know, me and her have a conversation a lot about how, it, it doesn't allow me to always express what she needs from me mm-hmm. because it's just, it's, it's hard for me to open up that so much. But, you know, at my age, at, thir- at 38, you know, I don't know if it's at that age, you're kind of set in stone and that's what it is, or you just have to slowly chip away. And then hopefully everybody who, you know, is around me in my life understands that yeah. I'm trying to make progress that way, but these things take time and I can't just, you know, flip on the switch and yeah. say, here is all my emotions out and about. It's like, I don't I don't ever truly think that anything is set in stone and I, I, I think with my experiences in like the last couple years especially has taught me about that and just like really seeing you know the capacity for people to change myself included seeing it like within my parents um and you know I, I had always thought that like especially with my mom and dad like oh like they're they're old you know they're in their their 70s, like they don't have the capacity to change anymore. But I think that that it's something that I I don't like believe in anymore. Um, You know, like, will it be, how do you measure the change, right? And I don't think that also that there is a, a measurable way for it. Like there is no like finite amount that like you can change or there's like no um, set amount that you have to change to. Um, I think it does, like, it happens, like, little by little, and I think when um, it finally, like, starts to, like, fit together, and when you, f- like, feel the process happening, and you recognize that, like, okay, like, you know, maybe in your case that I do feel comfortable opening up and being a little bit more vulnerable and being a little bit more expressive it could be like just like a a small like little little floodgate that opens up that gives you the capacity to open up a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't think that that you're you know kind of set in your way at yeah. all. Yeah, can you speak to my wife about that? Because I try to say the same <laughs> thing and it doesn't work. A little bit. Like, nope, I need a lot more. She tells me so. That's some, and I can tell you that because all of us are friends. So yeah. You know, if anybody can 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 be direct, <laughs> you definitely can be that. Uh, you're right. You know, going through all that, you're right. He, just hearing that that story about Chicago and how you got here and everything that you went through. If I wa- if I never knew and I saw you walking down down the street, you would never know that someone would have gone through all that. So I think it's exciting to hear that the things that you go through in life, how they lead you into most randomest places here too. But another thing that's always, especially recently, that's really, that I've really, you know, how do you say, I'm very excited to, I'm not excited is not, not, not the right word here. So I've been very inspired, there we go, about how you've overcome a very tough challenge recently that a lot of people just don't think about or they think it's a it's a death sentence when this happens but you're a leukemia survivor 
Yeah. And that's, you know, to be able to be sitting here talking to me and joining this nice glass of Blanton's, which by right. the way, I got to fill up again in a second oh, there. Cheers. Anybody? Yes. <laughs> to be able to be here, and this has only been a couple of years, I think, uh, it just shows your resilience. And when me and when, when me and Angela went to go see in the hospital, you know, it could have easily, I don't know what, what to expect when we walked in. It could have easily have seen somebody like, lying on the bed like okay this is it and you know the world's against me and blah 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 blah. if i didn't know why you were in there i would have thought you maybe were, were going in for like a you know a broken bone or something like oh yeah it's no big deal because you had such a positive optimistic outlook on that and i think that's been the biggest reason why you're sitting here today in complete remission correct yes exactly and being able to overcome all that but Kind of let's walk back to the beginning there. How did that whole thing come up? What triggered you to say, I need to go to the doctor? Something's not quite right here. Yeah, so it was, um, my God, it was in, in February. I just started like feeling off. And I would literally walk up the stairs and halfway through would have to take a break. And I'd be like, oh my God, like this is like not normal. Like maybe I'm just like, you know, a, a little exhausted. I'm pushing myself too hard, taking like, so many dance classes and going to work and doing all this stuff too. Like, I'm just going to scale back. And then my legs started hurting and, um, just things that I, I knew that felt like abnormal to me. And I, and there were things that like, I really honestly like couldn't really describe as like a normal symptom of X, Y, Z. Um, so, kind of like a, 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 a backstory to this. Like my, my family comes from like a family of like, oh, like we're not gonna go see the doctor. Like we don't trust doctors. Um, it, it'll be fine. Like I'll, I'll just like pop like some Advil and <laughs> it'll take care of itself. Well, um, flashback to, I think it was like maybe like two years previous to that my uncle, um, my dad's like youngest brother, did the exact same thing and self-medicated with like ibuprofen and Advil and all this stuff. He let like his fear of going to the doctor like take over him. And like the same thing with my dad, you know, like he had some pollux removed like in his intestines and oh, wow. had like bleeding come out and he'd be like, oh, like I'm fine. And he wouldn't say anything until it was like too late, right? And same thing with my uncle. He didn't say anything or like go to the doctor until it was too late. And he also got diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, wow. And it had progressed to such a really advanced stage. Um, and I had that in the back of my mind. I'm like, I'm going to be the one that breaks the cycle. I don't feel good right now. You know, like I, I know that it's not something that I'm used to. It's been going on for too long. Um, I think like one of the, the, the big like indicators for me was um, one of my really good friends and I, we took this trip to Rome. We went to um, uh, the Sistine Chapel and had to climb up like one of the towers. Mm -hmm. And I, I, and it's, you know, it's a strenuous climb, like going up like one of those, those towers. But I dance. You know, I, I danced like very regularly at the time. I considered myself like kind of fit, definitely not out of shape. 
and was wondering like why I was struggling to go up there. So I finally went, got like um, blood work done and think like, thank God that I cemented my, my decision and did that because I got like a phone call at work from my doctor telling me that I needed to go to the emergency room. They're expecting me um, that I needed to get a blood transfusion. Well, that's a, not what you expect uh, from the doctor randomly. Not, a, not at all. And I've, wow. I've never have been anywhere near a blood transfusion before, ever. Um, so I, I called, I called my, my best friend and he literally just like dropped everything. It's like, okay, I'll be there as soon as I can. Got in, did the blood transfusion and they were realizing that it's taken a lot more blood than they thought that was needed. Um, and I think this was like on like a Friday. It was on a Friday that I went in. They couldn't pinpoint like what it was. They thought it maybe could have been like a virus. Um, they, they were really running through like the full gamut of what they thought that it could be. And they, they, they didn't know. Every, everything that the emergency room doctors were like looking at was like exhausted. They thought it was internal bleeding. Hmm. It was not internal bleeding. You know, they thought that maybe I caught something when I was overseas and it wasn't that. And then they thought it was like maybe this like rare infection that I got because of like, I mean, I mean like they, they really ran through the whole thing. Um, and then on, I think it was like sometime over the weekend or on Monday, I went to, um, I got moved to a different hospital and they tapped my bone marrow um, to try to figure out like what was, what was going on. And uh, I overheard them say that it was a dry tap and dry taps are really concerning because like you should be able to get something tapped hmm. out of your bone marrow and I, I didn't hear back like the results for, I think like another two days, and because um, nobody knew, and I, and I don't think that they had even considered leukemia or cancer. Um, and then it was like I think on a Tuesday, yeah, it was on a Tuesday that I found out late that afternoon that I was diagnosed with um, hairy cell leukemia. And what's that one compared to? I'm guessing there's multiple forms. There's so right? many, yeah. And um, blood cancers, like I have come to find out, um, there's still like so much research going on with them, just because of the fact that there's so many, and a lot of them are rare, and they don't know like where it comes from. Um, so hairy cell leukemia, like the the leukemia cells, like actually look like they have hair coming out of them. Oh, okay. That's yes. And it's a very small section of people that, that get it. Mostly it's men, um, but it's one of the, the more treatable leukemias um, that like once it starts going into like remission, uh, it may never come back or it comes back again in like seven to 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's very... Optim, you know, it's very positive to see that once they get it, it's 
it may come back in seven to 11 years and it may not Yeah. compared to it's in remission come back in six months because it may come back somewhere else. Right. Which I've, I've had that with the, a coworker of mine, his kid got um, some sort of foot cancer and they're like, yeah, we'll take it out here. But these things, it could, it could pop up somewhere like, else. Like the, it could spread somewhere else. Exactly. And yeah. we don't know what to do with it at that point. We have to kind of figure it out. Like that's really, uh, that's really tough to deal with, especially if you're a parent. And in your case here, at least, did they explain to you, all right, we know what it is now. Here's the prognosis kind of to put you at ease, like we're going to hit it hard now. And, yes. Okay. And that's exactly how it happened. Um, they, they figured out what it was and they had a game plan immediately. So within like a few hours, uh, I was already like getting prepped um, for chemo. So they had to um, basically put a catheter into my arm going all the way up here. And then it, like the catheter stopped like right above my heart so that the chemo went into like the bloodstream and was coursing like from my heart pumped out to the rest of my body. Wow. That's, I never knew how that, I mean, I'm sure there's probably different ways to do chemo. Like, yeah. That way there seems really intense. Well, I mean, like I thought that, okay, like they're going to give me a pillow to take, right? Like that's, that's one way to do it. That's what I would have thought. <laughs> right. Yeah. But instead like they opted to go for that option and, um, you know, hearing like the, the whole like news and like, like, like once anybody throws like the word cancer around, like you immediately think that's like a death sentence. I thought it was a death sentence. I'm like, okay, here I am. Like not even like. 40 something years old and I got diagnosed with cancer and um, seeing people that were close to me, my uncle, coworkers, like friends, um, literally like fighting for their lives. It, I, I immediately thought that I could die. And, you know, so many thoughts like happened during that time, like, did I live a fulfilling life? Um, did I wanted to do everything that I want to do? Like, do I regret anything in my life? Yeah. Who was I mean to? Right. Or, <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Or what are the things that I didn't get to do? Um, but I, I had to like make peace with those feelings really quick and like switch my mode of thinking to be like, okay, I still have a chance to live. And that's the chance that I'm going to take. And I am going to willfully go through that trajectory that's and see if I make it out. And obviously you, yeah, obviously you had the right mindset yeah. there. Was chemo, I mean, I can guess, is it painful? Is it just because everything else sort of is prone to getting more infected that you just have to be very, how does, how does that whole thing work? So I, I, I had to be very careful. Like at that point, I basically had no white blood cells, so I couldn't fight off any infection. I couldn't, if, if I had a cold, it probably would have killed me at that point. Hmm. So basically like, you know, like, um, sanitize everything and pretty much what we're doing right now. Right. Like yeah. I was living through that experience two years ago and if my, if my friends had runny noses, you know, if they felt like a tickle in their throat, if they felt off, they couldn't come in. 
Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. But in addition to being careful about everything around you and who was coming in and who you're being in contact with, just how do you feel with everything going? Do you you feel lethargic? Do you feel like I can? Yeah. Like I had the shunt basically that was in me 24 seven. Oh, and the, the, the IV bags and the, the, the bag of chemo, the monitor, like that was with me the whole time. I could not escape from it. It was right there. So it was a, it was a constant reminder to me that like this thing is like hooked up in me. And the first couple of days like was, was fine. And I think it didn't get until the third day, like where, um, I, I was not hungry. Like I noticed that like my hair was shedding a lot. Um, I lost a considerable amount of weight. Um, like just like the life, you know, just kind of not there, like in my face. Um, Things felt very labored. Um, Just like getting up and going to the kitchen to get something was like a... Anything. It was was a lot of work. Because I not only had to get myself out of bed, but I had to like take like my thing with me, like the monitor and the IV bags, and I had to be careful that I, you know, didn't move around too much in case, like, anything comes out, right? Wow. Um, and it, 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 at that point, like, I just realized that, like, my body did not belong to me. And it's, it's a, it was something that I had to surrender, basically. I had to surrender myself to the treatment and I had to surrender my body to the treatment, not willingly. Right. I mean, you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And this was, when did you get the, what, how far along until you, you saw the doctor and I'm of course you're getting tested regularly. Did, did, he, did he say, all right, we've, we've hit the apex. Now we're seeing a lot of progress and we're oh, almost. Oh God. Like it, it wasn't until like months after that really. Oh, wow. and, and even, even right now. You know, like just, it's, it's not, um, it's not like a, you know, like a, a turnaround from like a flu or anything at all. Like it's, it's progression. Right. Yeah. So we're into this, what, two, two and a half years now? Two and a half years. And, um, so white blood cell counts that, that the number wise that like when you get like a blood test done should be four to 11. And four being at like the bottom, mm-hmm. right? Of being okay. And 11 is like at the highest. And um, right now I'm at a 4.2. Jeez, right there, man. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. So how do you, or I mean, is there a way that it just creeps back up to like a seven or eight, which I'm guessing is probably where you want to be? That I, 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 I don't know. Um, it, it's just like a, a slow and steady progression. Um, and I'm hoping that it will get to seven or an eight, but it's, this is like something that for the rest of my life now that I'll have to monitor. I know I get that, but I will tell you because of your outgoing energy, I mean, if anybody's going to be able to pull that off, it's definitely going to be you to be able to say, cause that's where 
I really think that a lot of that, a lot of like the internal healing you get from any sort of infection, disease, broken bone, whatever, it all starts up here. If you don't have the right mindset, your brain sends all the chemicals wherever it needs to throughout the body. So if you're sending negative cortisol chemicals around, you trying to get better is that's not going in the right direction. But just having the positive mindset yeah. at the very least, just like people who, you know, you get into a car wreck and maybe you lose a leg. There's a lot of people who might say, well, there goes my life, can't do anything. And then there, there's people who say, well, that sucks. How do I, what's the next step? Get a prosthetic, go to, go to physical therapy, learn how to adjust and just keep thinking the positive things. And funny how like they have the best chance of getting back to semblance of a normal life. Yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, yes, you know, I have, I, I still have moments and I had moments before that where, um, I, I allowed myself to have a pity party and I allowed myself to have those negative feelings. Um, but at a certain time, like for me, I just, I couldn't sit in them any longer because I knew that if, if I were to sit in those feelings, um, one, it would pull me down to a direction that would be hard for me to get out of. And two, like what, what would have served me at this point to continue to feel this way? Um, how is this helping in you know, my, my journey to healing and my journey to getting better if I continue to have like this mindset and this attitude? So I, I had to, to flip it. Because if I if I didn't, um, I honestly like don't think that I would be sitting across this table talking to you right now. Yeah, that's really, you know, hits home. Yeah, absolutely, it's life. But at the same time, if somebody's listening to this and they're in a similar position, maybe they just find out. I just got. I found out I have leukemia. I have no clue what I'm doing. What would be your biggest piece of advice to them about how to process it, how to get through it? the support that you need and kind of give them like a semblance of this is kind of like what you should be expecting and your mindset should be the next six months, year, two years. Yeah. Um, it, like definitely listen to your body and listen to what is saying to you. You, you're the only person that knows like when your body's off and also be an advocate for yourself. If you're not feeling something or if you're not like getting the right treatment if you're not getting like what you need from your healthcare provider, say it or go to a different one. Um, it's okay to, to not have a good day and it's okay to feel like those negative feelings because the other side of the coin is the positive feelings and those will come through. Um, you have to let yourself like feel all the spectrums of emotions that you're feeling during that time. And I think that was the most important part of the healing journey for me. And I think also the, the support and the network that I have with my friendships and with the people that I know. Um, it, it's that I think it was such a key element in, um, the healing process for me and also through like the chemo process too. Like there were some days that I, I didn't want to see anybody at all that I just wanted to be in that like, like small little room <laughs> by myself and just like have 
a moment, but I, I have friends that like know me better than that. And they were like, you know, please just let us, let us see you for an hour. You know, even with like you, you and Ange, like, oh, I'm not hungry. And then you guys like bring me like this, this whole thing of like food. And I think it was like more the act than being able to eat. And that itself, like, I think gives a lot of strength. It gave a lot of strength to me having people there, you know, like we don't, necessarily have to talk about anything we can watch tv together but just like having somebody there made the journey like so much like it just made it like so much better um yeah like it's it's not everybody's gonna have like a different experience and the other thing too is realizing that like of all the people that i've met and all the people that i know like so many people like came out of the woodwork that I had no idea that had battled cancer or had that fought with cancer gave me advice and were there when I had questions and were there like when I needed something, even if I didn't ask it, like I just knew that they were there and having like that network of people was um, really surprising because I, 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 I feel like I made like my my battle with leukemia pretty public, um, while other people choose to keep it more of like a private experience. And those that did like reached out, and it was so surprising to me that I know a lot more people that went through that experience than I thought that I would. Wow! And just to go through that relatively at a young age, you know, yeah. any type of cancer or you know long term disease, you just naturally think that okay, that probably won't happen until I'm at least seventy or something like that. Right. And these yeah. things are happening younger and younger for whatever reason, right. which is a whole another can of worms there too. Well, I hope you ate all that food because if you didn't, then we would be really <laughs> disappointed that hey, he didn't even eat all that food. I'm sure. Um, that was two years ago. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. Now, would you say that after all that now? Do you feel like you've overcome the big obstacle? Obviously, you still—it's something you have to deal with for a while. But do you feel you've overcome that, or it's still something that you still are processing in some different way now? Oh my God, I am continuing to process it. Did, did I overcome that part of it? Yes, but I think the thing with cancer and my experience with that is that it opened up so many other other things that I needed to deal with in my adult life. You know, with like the relationship with my parents, um, my triggers with them, my, my triggers with my dad, uh, trauma that I had growing up that I really didn't deal with. Um, it, it just, it opened up this door for me to um, just like really seek assistance from a professional uh, and learning to, to cope with and deal with uh, past traumatic events basically that wow. resurfaced from that. So it was a catalyst. Wow. But like I said, you've come through it, uh, I want to say with flying colors, because obviously it's still something that you have to work with, but 
to come out of that in two years and relatively you're back to pretty much your normal life now, save for the, the COVID thing that everybody has to deal with on, with, we're all in the same boat on that one. You know, that's the inspirational thing. And how does it change your outlook, if it anything, on what you want for the future? Like, what's the future hold for, for Paul now that you've gone through all this and were there things that you wanted and now I don't want this anymore? Or is it say, you know what? I never thought I wanted this, but because I've gone, you know what? Now I want to go for that. What's going through your mind with that? Well, I, th- I, I think it's everything that you absolutely stated. Um, like, I had... I never really had been like the type of person to like outrightly ask for like what I want. Um, I feel that even, you know, for being like as socially extroverted as I am and maybe like a little bit of outspokenness, like I'm still like very reserved. Um, Going through the experience of, of cancer and living through that experience and knowing that we, I have a finite amount of time here. And the next day is not guaranteed at all. What am I going to do to make the best of my life like right now? What can I do to improve my life and make me feel that I'm actually living it as opposed to being a passenger in my own life? Because I think that previous to that, I've always felt like I was a passenger or a bystander, like, you know, oh, like, I'm such a go-with-the-flow kind of guy, like, oh, go whatever direction that life takes me, and I didn't want to do that anymore. Like, I wanted to be the person that navigates my own life. Um, so I, I, I think I became, like, more of an advocate for myself and being more outspoken about my emotions, what I need, um, learning how to draw boundaries, which I don't think is easy for any of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and being more expressive about the way that I feel, um, not being afraid to voice my opinion um, for fear of offending somebody, uh, and also just like wanting to see the world a lot more. Um, after my experience with cancer, uh, I was trying to like, you know, plan out a trip and I've always been like the type of person like I need to either go with a group of people or like one people and it didn't work out that like no one could go. I'm like, well, screw it. I'm just going to go by myself. And that was one of the best experiences that I ever had, was traveling to a different country where I spoke very little of the language um, and being able to be there by myself and coming out through the experience knowing that that was something that I was able to do on my own. You know, and and I think I've always been like an independent person to some degree, but that like really stretched it out further. That's really cool that you said, you know, especially going through what you went through. It's like, well, there are things that I want to do. And if nobody's on my same schedule, I got to go and do it because this is something that I want to do. Reminds me of when I went skydiving, everybody said they were in and they all and they all got scared. And I ended up, well, I'm going to go by myself then. And I went by myself because it's like, well, 
you know, I need to push myself. I need to push the boundaries. I want to go experience a little more life that yeah. most of us would just be too scared about or why would you even do it? But you kind of need to live. You need to go through some sort of experience. You got to go enjoy everything that, that's out there. Right. And I think even going through what, what you've been through, there's probably people who have unfortunately maybe have gone through a similar thing and get through it, but then realize, oh man, I've been working all my life. I've been focusing on getting money and getting the bigger house and the cars that I completely missed time with the family or time to go enjoy what life has to offer. You know, it's a, it's a challenge that we deal with here in this, in this country is that we, a lot of us just strive to get the money and the things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, we, we forget what the old rich men tell us like, Hey, money doesn't buy you happiness. And like, well, you know, it's easy for you to say that, but then we get that way and it's like time passes us by and what do we have to show for it at the end of the day? Right. So I, I mean, I admire people who, you know, want to make the, not the, the plunge is not the good word, but the commitment to have a family and have kids because they want to, you know, raise these little beings up into great people and great members of society. So it's a great thing to have as long as everybody's on the same page. But even if not, just to be able to go out and give back to other people in some way, you know, like this conversation here, you know, I don't know how many people are going to end up viewing it at the end of the day, but if it just takes a couple of people to listen to your experiences, what you went through, that's all it takes for them to say, okay, that gives me a little re uh, reassurance of how to make it through some like leukemia or even like what you had to go through with your dad and how that experience and then getting pulled over and getting arrested led you to Seattle and to here. Like that transition just goes to show you how, you know, maybe life has a lot more planned for you than, than, than you think. And sometimes you just got to take a chance and just go out there and actually do it. As long as you don't hurt anybody. Right. If you don't hurt anybody, then, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, have fun with it. Do what you got to do. And that's been one of the biggest. It's funny how you said you think you're socially awkward or introverted. I think you're the exact opposite. Every time we were around you, it's like you seem to be the life of the party, uh, especially the Halloween party with Oprah. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun time. <laughs> that was a good time. That was. Uh, boy, this has been, it's been exciting to learn about your experience from Chicago, your experience with the, with the, with the police, which you know hits home for me. Yeah. And uh, just, I wasn't sure if I was like, should I tell the story? Like, you can tell. I mean, yeah. you know, we're all, you know, nobody's so diehard that we have to say, you know, how dare you do that? It's, yeah. Uh, we all. I, I, I think, you know, it's kind of like going back to like what you're saying that like, it doesn't matter like how many people I, I think it reaches as long as it reaches one person. Um, you just never know like how your experience or what you've gone through can affect somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we all have a, like so many stories to tell and so many experiences to share with each other that I, I don't think that like we do that enough. Yes, especially in this new age that we're living right. in with social media, which is another yes. thing that we never got to. We can just touch on this really quick because we were talking earlier before we turned everything on about how when we were growing up, things were different. We didn't have social media. You know, right. yeah. I still remember having a beeper in high school saying, OK, I got to call somebody. Go to the pay phone the on pay campus phone. Yeah. Exactly. and say what happened. OK. And you just you dealt with it because that's all you knew. But then now it's just the way that social media has influenced a lot of the young people and it's nobody's fault, but it's just information overload at an age. Like we were talking about at 15 where you, you just literally cannot process all these things at the same time, which, you know, I guess I think that gets into another situation for another time about how, you know, young 
high school age kids are just deciding to end everything because of all the pressure oh, that that's yeah. on them. And that's a whole other conversation there. But, it, you know, what do you think about when, well, my parents' generation would always tell me, you know, you know, you guys are young and you new kids, you have all the new fancy toys like computers. We didn't have that back in my age, back in my day. And we'd say, uh, you know, I get it. And now we're that generation. We're like, hey, all you kids have these cell phones oh my and God. you can do this and you can do that. Wait, and do you ever catch yourself be like, what are, what is this music that kids are listening to? I don't even listen to the most, the most of the time the radio anymore. Cause I don't know what the, it's that. I don't either. I've said that. I'm like, Oh wow! I've officially like hit that age. Yeah, I have my Lincoln Park and Metallica um, like playlist that I usually listen to, like at the gym and whatnot. Yeah. And that's you know, and uh, those genres like that. You know, Lincoln Park was my band growing up. That was what uh, I you know, just that type of music just more spoke to me. Yeah. And you know, nowadays it's uh, it's something different. And you know, I take it with with a grain of salt that. I'm sure my parents did the exact same thing when they heard what MC Hammer when mm-hmm. I was a kid and like, oh, what's all this new music here? Like, yeah, this is cool. What are you talking about, mom and dad? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, trying to sometimes get the message across to a lot of young, younger people about what to expect. I just learned to not tell them, do this, do that or else because... I wouldn't have listened at that age. And I know they're not going to listen. They have to go through life and experience it on their own. It's more like, you know, as you go through it, you have support. Uh, Don't make any huge mistakes. Like, you know, don't get somebody pregnant. Don't do, um, I want to say don't do drugs, but you know, nowadays it's, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do now. Exactly. Uh, But my concern is all this, all the fentanyl stuff on the street. Now Like you don't know what what you're getting when, you know, if you want to go experiment with that stuff. So, you know, but, to each their own on that one. Yeah. Uh, it's just a new world to live in now and trying to process that. And I feel for a lot of the parents who have teenage kids now and just trying to understand how do you, what they're seeing nowadays and how do you get through that and how do you make sure they're all on the right track? It's a lot for people to absorb and figure out. I mean, it's a lot for like an adult to absorb. Yeah. Right? Like I, I can't even imagine being a kid and trying to absorb like everything that's happening, especially with the fact that information and everything is just so at your fingertips, and it's like so like like right there. That I don't know. Like I, I think that like as an adult, like we have like the the pause button, right? Being like, okay, I'm just gonna take a break from social media. I'm just gonna take a break from this. Kind of look at it for a while, but. I think as kids, like that's how they interact with each other now. That's crazy. And yeah. oh yeah, that, that brings up something like that. Cause I was just going to talk about how <laughs> I think I mentioned this in the past to somebody that if you would have told me when I was a kid playing super Nintendo after school one day that one day I could, if you can get really good at playing video games, you could make millions of dollars. Oh, God, if you would have told right. me that back then, I would have totally pivoted and said, well, if I know that, I'm just going to get good at all these new games that are coming out. That's going to make me money. Right. And it's crazy how like that is one of the biggest things that a lot of, especially young, young boys are going into thinking I'm going to be the next uh, whatever, Sonic Fox or something. I think I, I see it a lot like in my industry with younger younger people, you know, being um having the mindset of like well i want my career to be a content creator that's what i want to do or an influencer 
like that's that's their career. That's what they aspire to do. Interesting how that's the thing. I know. I mean, this is fun to do, but I look at it as a hobby, you know, because the, the second that I put pressure on myself that I have to get X amount of view subscribers and make money to pay the bills, that's, that's the second that I lose the fun, in my opinion. Right, because it's a job. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you take it now as a hobby and you sit down with somebody and have a genuine conversation without any pressure that it has to do good or go viral, but it's a well thought out conversation that a lot of people would love to listen to. It's, you know, it's more meaningful. It takes a lot to, you know, buy all this equipment and then set it up and then behind the scenes go over and get on the computer and edit everything out. This is all me on my own time, but I enjoy doing it because the message that I get from the people I talk to means so much to me that it needs to be said out there. Yeah. And it's not, you know, not virile, not political, not your anti-Trump or pro, none of that stuff there because this is just, when all that's said and done on the media, this is like real life stuff. This is what real people deal with every day and this is what you know, most of us have to go through. And even then, people who go through a lot of the stuff that me and you are going through now, we're in this, this, this country here with all the protections. You go to like Sudan or Ethiopia or Afghanistan or Myanmar, and it's a whole different world over there with what yeah. people have to deal with. They look at our problems like, oh, I would take those problems in a heartbeat with what we got to deal with here. It's uh, So putting that into perspective, it's like, yeah, I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for my job, you know, my wife, the where, where we live and our outlook on life and anything that I can do to give back to people in some sort of way like this, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to spend time um, putting everything thing, thing, thing together. So it's exciting stuff for me, regardless of any, if anybody ever watches it, which I'm sure people will catch on to it eventually yeah. at some point. <laughs> you know. But last thing is, you mentioned this to me, and I never asked you about this. You said you were a gamer or you're in the game industry. What did that mean? That I'm neither. Oh, I thought you said you were in the game industry. No. Maybe it was, okay, maybe we're talking about the dance partners because we were talking earlier about, yes. okay. Yeah, so a lot of my friends um, are in the gaming industry. They're in the gaming yes, industry. They're in the okay, gaming industry. that's what it yeah. was. No, I, I play games, like I play mobile games, um, but I don't, I don't know if I ever consider myself a gamer. Not the way that I would think that a lot of some of these, these kids that are still like 23 hours a day, it's, you know, in front of the PlayStation doing <laughs> the thing. Might as well be me with my phone. Oh, it, it, well, yeah, that, that's the other thing we yeah. deal with now. <laughs> Sometimes talking to Angela, I have to go, okay, you know, listen, okay, let me text you. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I'm right here. Because that's the way a lot yeah, of us are I, talking I, I don't play like any like console games, um, like a PS, like a PlayStation or, or anything like that. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that hardcore. Although if I did get one, that might be a different story. Yeah, well, I have one and I use it for like YouTube TV <laughs> and the radio. And that's you know, I have games that I've I, don't, I have a couple of games that are still in the wrapper. I've never played them because how many time, you know, you work and then the jujitsu, the the martial arts that I do on the side plus oh, yeah. this, and then you know, having a wife and a dog, it's like consumes my time all I know, right there. Same. I, I I wouldn't even I I think I I do it like when I'm on the bus. When I have like lunch. That's where you, exactly. See, that's a good way to balance it though. It's like, if you're going to work and you're just doing a little bit here, you know, I think that's what the point of it was, but to be full on a hundred percent of the time, your day is all like that. That's where we get into like, you know, is this the way that we're going to shut out society? We're just going to play video games and then not interact with each other anymore. Yeah. You know, it's happening in Japan. 
it is, you know, and to think that that can't happen here and we're kind of the next one to do it. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. What is the future of interacting between people and socializing now? It's all going to be digital or are we going to get back to what we used to be where it's we actually go out and meet people? Well, to kind of circle back to, you know, what we were discussing before about like dance classes being virtual. Um, I, I, I think that for a lot of us that take dance and are in dance teams and dance companies, we were missing a lot of the social interaction that came from that. You know, like when when I was saying that, like, oh, like you know, like when you're taking a dance class and like you you feel the vibe off each other, that that I think is like the most important in the actual part of taking a dance class. Like, it's not just the steps and the music. Yeah, it's like. Who else are you dancing with? Who can you vibe off of that's dancing around you? And when you have that like taken away from me, it was like the most painful part of it. Like interacting with people on a weekly basis, interacting with friends, you know, that are on on my team, having that social interaction, having that camaraderie, having this like um, shared interest, shared hobby. We don't get paid for it. We do it because we love it. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing it to be like famous or to be popular or to go on like so think you can dance, you know, like we're doing it because we love dancing and we love being around each other. And when you don't have that, like it gets to be something that is completely different. And yeah. it was something that I didn't like that was different. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It's uh yeah, it's yeah it's hard to really uh, wrap it around that to you because you, you appreciate dance so much and it's like, we need that social interaction and to see a lot of people nowadays, like, well, my social interaction is texting somebody in yeah. another country and I don't even know their name. I know that their their screen name, but I had somebody tell me that once. It's like, you know, I was talking to her about something and I asked her, well, did you tell your friends anything? She said, yeah, I told my friends. What are their names? Oh, it's a, uh, uh, Bama three, four, five, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, who's that? Uh, it's just somebody I know in, um, Ethiopia or something that's yeah. your best friend. It's, it's, it's hard. It was hard for me to get my head around that, that that's actually your, your best friends you've never met in person. They're all digital people. Right. Like, do you even know who they and are? Like, are they even, are they even who they say they are? Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy how yeah. that's, um, yeah. So, you know, that's a, but that's a whole nother conversation. I know. <laughs> but, you know. Well, you know, this has been, been fun, Paul. I think the lights going out on me tells me something. <laughs> uh, this has been a fun conversation. I'm, I'm so glad that you gave me the opportunity to learn a lot about where you, you know, just your transition from coming home and all what you had to deal with there to coming here. And obviously we knew about your leukemia situation, but to hear the other side of the progress of that and what was going on that we didn't see, like that was really uh, inspiring to see and what your mindset is. And the biggest thing, how all this stuff that you've been through, how it's shaped your life and direction and how you didn't let what maybe either society or your parents' expectations lead you astray to say, I still have to accomplish what they all say I have to do. It's no, I'm on my own path. I'm happy in my life. I'm getting through everything. You know, maybe I don't have the, the things that they all say I should have, but here's what I have that I like and what I enjoy. And that's the biggest thing. There's people out there who have money and Lamborghinis and whatnot. And they're not an ounce of happy. It's all for, for show. And then there's, and then they work their lives for that. 
And then you have people like, like, like you who just enjoy life, go and do what you enjoy doing. You hit a hurdle or a couple of hurdles and you find a way to get through it and move on from that and happy with what you have in your life. And that's, I'm hoping that's at least a message that most people who listen to this can get out of it, that no matter what you've gone through, that you still have to do what's best for you and not what everybody else says you're supposed to do. Your paycheck doesn't represent who you are. And just because you're not at their level doesn't mean that you're not just as happy as they are. You don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe they make more, but it doesn't matter because you're happy doing what you do. So it was a great time, man. Thanks. And we got to do it again. Absolutely. We'll do it. We'll do it again sometime and yeah. tell me more other stories about what's ever going on. Oh my God. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't wait for all that there too. And anybody that that's watching this now, if you like the content, please subscribe to the channel so we can get more people out to enjoy all this great, all this great advice. Thank you, Paul. And you know, absolutely. And I hope you, you killed the Blanton. So we're good. I did. That okay. Was good. <laughs> great. All right. Bye everyone. Bye.